is Dialogue with Drake and Dabu. My name is Emma Drake. And I am Swetai Dabu. This is the podcast where we talk about all things policy, politics, and pop culture. Today, we will be chatting about being a nurse on PEI from a policy perspective. Now, for several years, PEI has faced a nursing shortage with quick turnover rates in hospitals and low retention of nurses. This shortage has led to island nursing staff to become overworked and go over above and beyond in order to bridge the gaps present in the healthcare system. Over the last year, COVID-19 has exacerbated the stress on this profession, with nurses being on the front line of medical care, having to take extra precautions to ensure everyone's safety, but also to provide emotional support to patients who might not be with their loved ones due to various restrictions. Today, we will be addressing a number of policy questions pertaining to the nursing profession on PEI. Firstly, we will look at some of the major issues faced by nurses on the ground and why recruitment and retention face barriers on the island. Then, we will be chatting about the mobile mental health crisis response teams announced by the provincial government. This service is one that has been in the limelight since its announcement with various questions arising at different points about its management, timelines, potential privatization, and consultation process. Still along the lines of mental health, we will be chatting briefly about the psychiatric urgent care clinics that have recently been shut down. Finally, we will be looking at the roles that nurses have to play in the future of healthcare provision. With us today to discuss these policy items and much more, is a registered nurse, pro-multitasker, and president of the PEI Nurses Union, Barbara Brookins. All right, Barbara, well, thank you so much for being with us today. Our first question for you is, how are you doing? I am doing great. It's a Friday afternoon and uh, the sun is shining. Right on. I definitely agree with that. Um, so just to jump right into things, Barbara, you're the president of the, the PEI Nurses Union. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that organization and the work that you folks do? Uh, yes. So I took over as the president of the Prince of Island Nurses Union in December, and uh, we represent over uh, 1,250 nurses, uh, registered nurses and nurse practitioners who work within the uh, public sector, so work within Health PEI. And basically what we do is we kind of support members in relation to uh, uh, we, we're the ones who negotiate their contracts. So we deal with all the issues in the, in the uh, in bargaining. We also address any uh, labor relations issues as they arise day to day. We support members if they get in trouble with the employer and um, they need support there. We provide educational opportunities and we uh, co-manage with the employer an education fund for members to access to uh to uh, get ongoing education opportunities or pay for it, ongoing education opportunities. And um, we also uh, do a lot of work with members to, to address work-life issues and kind of make sure that that balance is there. And if we have to do any uh, language modifications to the contract, then every usually it's about every three years where we go back to the table and, and address issues that, that make things better for nurses at the workplace. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you folks have such a strong, uh, you know, union on the island. I think you are one of the strongest, like, we're always very much in admiration of the work that you do. 
Um, now, we know that on PEI over the last several years, there has been a shortage of nurses. And in the provincial budget 2021-2022 this year, um, the government included an, a $5 million investment for recruiting nurses, 1.5 million of which are specifically earmarked for the first year. Now, what are some of the major reasons you find that this shortage of nurses exists? Uh, what are you hearing on the ground? Well, it's, it's, it's multifaceted. There's uh, always a lot of talk about the recruitment of nurses. We've tried to put a, an equal amount of spin onto the retention component. And we did have a lot of conversations with, um, with government representatives, including the premier, about uh, ideas for retaining the nurses that we have, because we've been very concerned about the focus being solely on recruitment. And if they come into the system and they're not feeling supported, or if it's not a positive environment, then you know they're not staying or mm. they're not working as as uh, much. So we want to ensure that it's a positive environment when they get there. What we're hearing from the members is that uh, one of the biggest issues, I guess, is that work work life balance and the ability to get time off when you need time off. And um, because of the vacancies in the system right now, it, it's just kind of a snowball effect that you have the vacancies in the system so you can't get your, your time off and then nurses get um, frustrated and then they either decide to either leave the system altogether mm -hmm. or to decrease their percentage of work that they are committing to the employer. So we have nurses that are coming out as new graduates and they're guaranteed you know, two years of full-time work and uh, they come out and soon after they get here, we find that they're not able to maintain that balance. And so they're already asking to decrease to you know, 70% or 80%, sometimes even lower than that. Mm -hmm. Wow. And yeah, so it's, it's concerning because you know, we're, we're still putting out similar numbers of nurses each year to, to kind of address the, the attrition values and uh, attrition numbers and it's not meeting the needs anymore. So the nurses that are coming out, not all of them are wanting full-time jobs anymore. A lot of them are looking at that 70%, 70% position. And so it's taking more nurses to fill the, the vacancies that are in the system. Mm. Wow, that is a huge problem. Like I had no idea that most young grads were opting for the 70% or, you know, 80% or whatever, uh, you know, kind of workload or hours it is, you know, looking at the investment, investment, sorry, that was specifically made this year. Do you find that it, um, you know, adequately addresses these concerns that exist on the ground now? Well, we still haven't seen like a clear outline of, of how they're going to put that money into, into play. So, you know, we've, you know, I've had some discussions and, you know, I've given a few ideas of what I feel is, is um, a good way to start. And I mean, they are giving nurses money to, uh, to relocate. They're giving nurses money to come. Um, they're looking for return to service agreements. But again, still not addressing, addressing the nurses that are already at the workplace that have been working short staffed or higher yeah. workloads. So um, we've been trying to look at, you know, a mentorship pay or, or compensation for some of the nurses that are going through that additional workload that comes with trying to orientate and, and get new staff familiar and comfortable with working in an area. And uh, when there's a high turnover, then they continue to have to do this. So currently there's no compensation for them to, uh, to perform that additional, additional responsibility. Mm -hmm. Wow. Just from hearing you speak, you know, it seems like while recruitment has very much been the subject of conversation these last few weeks, it seems that retention is where the real problem is lying and where there's a number of changes that need to be made and a number of accommodations made to make sure that the nurses that we have on the island now are not leaving. Um, you know, you've touched on this already a little bit, but 
what are some specific policy changes that you think would allow for better retention, you know, in addition to the extra pay or um, in addition to the other measures that you have just mentioned? Well, I think they need to, to have a lot more conversations with the nurses mm-hmm. and uh, find out what it is they do want, because sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect between what they're what the plans are that are being made. And if they're looking at, you know, creating new full-time positions or trying to make higher percentage positions and nurses are not looking for that, it's it's uh, not a good way to, to waste your time doing that because it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the, these nurses, when they do come out, they, they have so many options now and they have so many areas that mm-hmm. they can go to work and they're no longer going to an area and staying for 10 or 15 or 20 years like mm-hmm. I did probably when I graduated. And uh, so even the cost of the employer for the orientation ongoing, if you moved every three to five years, um, is certainly adding adding cost cost to the employer. So you want to make sure that the nurses that you do have are, are settled where they're at. And sometimes it's just as easy as allowing them an opportunity to take a temporary assignment somewhere else, mm. just to kind of get a little rest or a break or try something new. Yeah. And um, currently, because of all the shortages, we haven't even been able to allow that to happen. So some nurses are choosing to completely leave the system altogether instead of maybe just stepping back for a part of their percentage or, or stepping back for a limited amount of time. Mm-hmm. So some of those initiatives like have to be kind of looked at as a retention component, not just... Mm-hmm. Um, focusing on that recruitment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a big piece I'm I'm kind of getting from this uh, conversation is that I think there's a need to listen right now. Like I think there's a big need to say, okay, what are nurses really dealing with? What is the reality of their needs, and how can we adapt to that? So um, I think mm-hmm. that that's a big takeaway that I'm getting right now. But um, just to pivot a little bit and kind of ties in a little bit with this point too is. Um, one big area that has been both in the media, but as well talked about in health service delivery on PEI right now uh, has been the mobile mental health crisis response service. And on uh, Tuesday, March 23rd, the Department of Health and Wellness sent out a PowerPoint presentation to the various PEI unions, uh, one of which, of course, being the PEI Nurses Union, um, that the private company Medivy, uh, which is the, the, the parent company to Island EMS, would be managing the operations of this new mobile mental health crisis response service. So we have two questions pertaining to this. First question was, um, and on the topic of listening, did the Department of Health and Wellness consult with the PEI Nurses Union on this policy decision before announcing it? Uh, No, they definitely did not, nor did they consult with any of the other unions that had impacted employees uh, already working with, uh, with the team. So it was uh, very, very frustrating. And it was actually well before um, March 23rd because we got wind of this through our members contacting us. And um, that's how we heard that the change was coming forward. And that was on, I think, February the 28th. So it was um, quite a a piece after that that we actually started getting some information, but we still, um, or we are just kind of getting to the point now where there's being some, uh, engagement, active engagement with the unions, not just information sharing. It's actually, you know, mm. looking for input. So we're just getting to that point now when we're at April the 16th. So. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm so disappointed to hear that none of the unions had been consulted on this. Like, I, I couldn't imagine, I think, the frustration associated with that. And also, 
having heard about it, you know, uh, I think informally in the rumblings amongst members, you know, as, as a leader of, of a union, yeah. how do you, how do you properly do your job and how do you properly, I think, uh, provide to them? So I definitely feel the frustration uh, there. Um, and, and one of the things that was included in the article in March from CBC was um, that you had spoke out that there were concerns from the nurses union from having not been consulted, you know, exactly what we're talking about. Um, the fact that, uh, this was a decision made, I think, really without that listening and, and conversation, not just with the PEI Nurses Union, but all the unions. Um, what were some of the key specific concerns that the Nurses Union had on this policy decision? Well, the, the frustrating part with not being included is that usually um, the unions are engaged with their members. And so they hear frontline what is going on at the work sites. And so what we were hearing was that there was a very limited resource of mental health care providers. And um, so what was what was what is being proposed or what's being done is that they are taking these um, taking a limited pool and they're going to take you know, 10 of our members out and move them over to a private employer. And then they're going to be managing them from there forward. So it takes that limited resource away from the service services that are currently being provided. And our concern is that with the limited resources and the multiple vacancies we already have in the system, that this mm -hmm. could just be, uh, um, make a bigger issue for what we currently are providing. And we want to ensure that the safeguards were in place before they implemented another service and the employers mm -hmm. kind of already got or the government has already got um, a blip on the radar there where they in introduced a new service last year with the the POC, the psychiatric urgent care uh, program mm -hmm. and so that opened at uh, QEH and PCH and they weren't able to once they got it up and running it wasn't that it wasn't being accessed and it was actually well well recognized by people looking for that service, but they ended up having to close them down because they didn't have the resources to support them. And so our concern was mm -hmm. that, you know, now moving forward again, now you have another or another project that's coming forward. And we certainly recognize the need for enhanced mental health services by all means, mm -hmm. that is not what we're trying to say. But we're, what we're trying to say is that make sure that your foundation is there before you start building upon it. And we want to make sure, sure that the services that are currently there are not going to be impacted by a further bleeding of resources of staff out of the system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, just had a follow up question with you, just with regards to something you just said about the PUCs, which is, you know, the psychiatric unit critical care. Um, I believe that's Psych what it's psychiatric is. urgent care. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I keep forgetting what it stands for. But um, I think, you know, just looking at the Legislative Assembly these past few weeks, it seems that the general rhetoric has been that these units have been absorbed into the existing ER. And, you know, to hear you say that, you know, this is something that was discontinued because of lack of resources is, I think, something that's very surprising to me right now, because, you know, that's not what we've been hearing from the ground so far. Yeah, well, we have crisis response teams that work out of both of both of the uh, the bigger acute care centers, and uh, they're they've been in they've been in place for years. Like that's not something that's new. So they have had to, I guess, absorb, or they've already been doing that work. 
So to say that they're absorbed into that system, I'm not really sure if that's a true reflection of what went on, but it's not the place for mental health in the emergency room. If, you, if it's a crisis right. or emergency exactly. situation, by all means, that's the place to be. But there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of services that can be provided on an urgent care basis that should not, and, and nor have the stigma of having to go into an emergency room to receive the service. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You have a really good point. And, you know, I'm also still trying to process the idea of, you know, just being told someday that, you know, these X number of nurses are just going to be moved to work under this private organization. And, you know, how do you deal with that? How do you um, kind of process that and help the staff process it as well? Now, looking at the timeline of events, though, with the Mobile Mental Health Crisis Response Service, um, on Friday, March 26th, the Premier Dennis King um, said he met with the PI Nurses Union following the announcement that MedoV would be managing these, this service. Um, in a CBC article, you were kind of quoted as saying that the Premier was very open to the information the union was providing, and that you left that meeting under the impression that the government will at least start with a blank page and engage with the unions going forward. Now, what specifically uh, you know, did the Nurses Union recommend to the Premier in that meeting? Um, Well, basically, kind of similar to one of my previous answers was that we asked them to kind of take a pause or a step back and and relook at what services are, are currently being offered in the system and whether or not some of those can be enhanced or whether or not they need more resources because of the vacancies we know that are in the system. So we want to make sure that, again, all those vacancies were filled and um the services were supported before we started pulling out of those services, uh, pulling the resources from those services. So um, that was the that was the concern that we had, or one of the primary ones that we had at the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, you made these recommendations. Have these been implemented by the Department of Health and Wellness yet, or has there been any kind of follow up since then? Well, we're still like we had a meeting. We had a meeting today, and we're just um, right now kind of. Uh, reviewing a framework that's in place, but there's it's still a moving target. And this model that they're looking at going forward with for the mo- for the mobile response team has been worked on for the last 18 months by um, one of the psychologists and a part of the team, I guess, that was in place. But we've had a lot of transition of, of staff through these positions because of the length of time it's taken to kind of roll it out and also because of the uncertainty of what the model is going to look like. And so we do have staff that are concerned about um, the, their, their safety and the, and the increased risk by being out in a kind of a little bit more of an unknown environment than, than what they're normally used to working at. And so there's been differences of the different changes to the model changed it from, a, you know, an RN or a social worker working with a police officer to now an RN and a social worker possibly working with a, a paramedic and only a police officer if there's a risk identified. But the concern is that we're, we're still kind of working through the details of how those calls are going to be coming in and how they're going to be triaged and how that risk is going to be identified because a phone call sometimes is not the most accurate way of getting a history. Um, and you know, the concern is that a risk may not be identified before uh, the team is dispatched to go out to see someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're definitely right there, Barbara. There's been kind of a 
I'll say flip-flopping of what this looks like. I, I know even mm -hmm. when we follow around in the news, Monday, it could say A, Tuesday, mm -hmm. it might be still A, Wednesday, it's B, and then maybe by mm -hmm. Friday, we're back to A. So mm -hmm. it's hard to keep up with everything, not to mention, yeah. you know, for the nurses union who are evidently a key stakeholder in this and are going to be there providing the service, I couldn't imagine the level mm -hmm. of frustration <laughs> also with that, because, you know, I think your primary concern is how can we provide the best level of uh, healthcare support that we can while ensuring that, you know, our staff members are safe uh, and they're set up for success, um, but that also you can meet the needs uh, of folks in the community. So I definitely, definitely understand the, the frustration and uh, there, I, I, me as a non-nurse, I couldn't <laughs> imagine how, uh, you know, yeah, frustrating that would be. Um, it sounds great. And like I said, we're very pro enhancement of, of services for mental health. Like that's, again, not, not the issue. It's just to make sure that once they're set up, that they're set up for success and that they're set up, that they will be able to be maintained. And, you know, like right now, we're kind of looking at a 12 hour service for the mobile response team. And if this, and then a call system possibly for 24 hours a day. But again, like they're all just kind of, this information just keeps coming and keeps changing. And so I'm not really sure, like for access points, they can certainly provide that direction of where people can go to access a certain service, but the access to the mobile response team is still going to be fairly limited because it's only one, one unit in each of the three counties. And so depending on when the calls come in, how often the calls come in, the team may all be already be dispatched. Um, they may be able to be redirected somewhere else. So I'm not sure, like when you look at the resources that it's gonna take out of the current system, if there's gonna be an impact at all and nobody seems to be able to say whether or not there will be or not. Um, I'm not sure where they plan to recruit all these positions from because they're, like I said, they're a very specific uh, skill that they have to, mm -hmm. to provide the service, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like too, just kind of tying in everything we've been talking about between you know, the nursing shortage and then and the changing, I think, needs and um, realities of, of nurses on PEI and then tying that into this, um, you know, the existing programs with the pucks and the, you know, challenges and opportunities that exist with that and then adding in now the mobile mental health units, um, you know, there's a lot of different things that I think are kind of um, needed to be taken into consideration here. And I know, um, like you said, you want to be able to not, you know, cut services from mental health, but ensure that when you're doing it, you're creating that foundation, setting it up for success so that you're supporting both the, mm -hmm. the nurses providing that service and then as well the patients. Um, when it comes to that mental health system, you know, from the PEI nurses perspective, you know, what do you recommend that looks like taking into consideration kind of everything we've been talking about? Um, well, basically, you know, we're just the, the biggest concern is that th this push to get it started and it's just all about getting it started and they haven't given us a, you know, a start date or a goal date or whatever they're looking at, but I mean, they still have a lot of positions to fill. And again, like we, we want to be supportive, but we want to ensure that those supports are in place before they in, introduce a new service. So um, we've got, they've already got the history of the puck. And even when they introduced urgent care, 
uh, walking clinics to uh, several of the community sites around the island, it was still using the same resources that they had. So what it did was took away from appointment times in order to provide the walk-in access. And I mean, people, when they're having a crisis, they don't want to have to wait for an appointment a week or two weeks or a month down the road. They want access today. So we want to make sure that the access is to the urgent, the urgent access is there before we start making it mobile. So yep. let's make sure that we have a, you know, a robust, a robust, um, robust walk-in and urgent clinics before we look at taking it on the road. Mm-hmm. And Taking that into consideration, what role do you feel the provincial government plays in kind of making that happen? Like, I think, you know, tying in what we chatted about earlier is like, is that focusing more on retention from the side of the provincial government and and ensuring that folks feel as though um, their kind of unique needs are being met as a, as a nurse? Um, or do you feel as though their role is to, um, you know, have more of a clear line of communication with you folks as the nurses union? What do you feel kind of their role is in that? Well, I mean, the government representatives, I mean, they're, a lot of their role is listening to the constituents and kind of finding out what needs are out there and, and or what needs are lacking. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, they've got their ear to the ground and they're going to have people at their at their door all the time telling them what's needed. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's that's kind of part of their role. But I mean, they also have the um, the ability to kind of delegate or designate those funds required to, to increase services. But then, you know, they kind of provide those to Health PEI and then Health PEI has the mandate to provide the service. So mm-hmm. it's kind of everybody has their little piece of what they need to do in order for this to work. And again, the unions are the unions are an important part of that as well. So I think everyone has to work together in order for this to work. And when people work in silos, it just means that the work gets done and then someone else comes in and introduces a bunch of uh, or a bunch of new issues or concerns, and then you have to start all over again or redo work. Mm-hmm. So if everybody's in the room at the same time, and hopefully the work is is done more efficiently, effectively, and the program gets rolled out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, we're big supporters of unions here. So we'll definitely be able to in <laughs> whichever way that we can. Uh, shifting gears a little bit here, you know, from mental health units, We know that the official third party um, in the Legislative Assembly tabled a motion on March 26th of this year um, that was titled, A Doctor for Every Islander Should Be Government's Goal. We know that recruiting doctors and retaining doctors has been a challenging task on PEI over the last number of years. This has gone pretty much hand in hand with the nursing shortage on the island. But we see now that the role of registered nurses and nurse practitioners has been evolving as well over these last few years with um, you know, healthcare delivery, specifically assessing, pa- uh, uh, sorry, assessing patient needs and prescribing treatments, you know, being taken over by nurse practitioners as well. As our healthcare system evolves and as healthcare delivery advances in whichever way that it does, what kind of role do you think registered nurses and nurse practitioners should be playing within the system? Well, healthcare delivery is is a team effort. There's There's no way about it. There's not just one one profession that's going to make this work. You have to work together. Mm -hmm. Um, We like to think that the RNs and the nurse practitioners are the backbone of the healthcare (laughs) system because we seem to be in all the areas. So, you know, that's, that's us. So we we (laughs) like that uh, notification, notoriety. Yes. Um, And we certainly don't mean to demean the importance of any of the other health professionals, but we do find that, you know, we have nurse practitioners out there working now and they've got, you know, enhanced education and they're out there working in, 
using collaborative practices with physicians and also with independent panels of their own. Mm -hmm. So instead of, um, you know, maybe the goal being a physician for everyone, it should be a primary care provider for mm. all Islanders. And that way, you know, depending on your needs, uh, that, you know, your nurse practitioners are able to provide a lot of the services that a physician can. They don't replace a physician. And, and like I said, it's a, it's a team effort. But we like to think that we can certainly improve access for Islanders to healthcare. And the registered nurses as well are working in a lot of leadership roles. They're working at the front line. They're, mm -hmm. they're there coordinating care and doing the, the uh, analytical thinking of you, what your diagnosis and what your plan of care and treatment should be. So there's a lot of um, teamwork happening at the, at the front line at all levels, whether or not it's acute care, long-term care, community mental health, primary care. Um, but nurses, nurses are there and will continue to be there. So, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I really like that. I, I think your your point about it being a team effort, but then also recognizing kind of the unique and evolving role that um, RNs and nurse practitioners have in that, I, I, I think is a really positive one. So um, mm -hmm. I, I hope to see that expand too. Like you said, like, you know, the idea of shifting gears from, you know, one position or another in the healthcare uh, delivery service, but more so focusing on primary care support and, and what that looks like. So I think that's really positive. Um, mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you want to add um, before we finish off kind of the more formal piece of our interview? No, I just really, I mean, I, I totally respect it. I've been kind of going on and looking some, at some of your podcasts and I certainly respect the work you do. And, and I'm honored that you're taking the time to highlight some of the issues that are, are, our members are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis and some of the services that are in the hot seat right now. So I certainly uh, respect the work you do and thank you for allowing me to come on your show. Thank you so much, Barbara. Those are very, very kind words. And, you know, we're always very amazed by the work that you do as well. So this means a lot coming from you. Mm -hmm. And I think too, Barbara, I think it's the least that we can do to highlight the wonderful work of nurses right now during COVID-19. I know we didn't focus on it a whole lot in this episode, but kind of as we've been saying earlier, um, you know, nurses are at the front line of this massive beast that is COVID-19. Yes. So um, they've been carrying us through and have gotten us to successfully where we are right now and will continue to do so. So it's our honor really just to be able to highlight some of that work and, and your leadership. So thank you for being with us. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. Now, I'm not sure about that beer challenge thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. So <laughs> because like with the, with the roles that I'm in, like the uh, you can ask my husband, but the times I cook supper lately have not been very uh, frequent. So uh, as far as the cooking and the bacon part, or giving you a recipe for a vinegar pie, it's probably not going to happen. But I can tell you some really good places to eat. <laughs> all right. Yeah, for sure. Go ahead. What do you recommend? Well, the, uh, the the month of April here with the meat and potatoes, like that's been that's been uh, really good. We've uh, had some really good times there. Um, we've been over to uh, Outriders, and we've been out to um, we've been up at the Frosty Tree Dairy Bar in Kensington. I live up near there. The uh, Island Stone Pub, and uh, now that we're getting to the seasonal restaurants opening, it's going to be an exciting time because there's lots of good places to eat on PEI. You're never short of a, a good place to go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I can go next. Um, so Emma knows this, our listeners don't. Is <laughs> at the start of this month, I had to go to Halifax for two days just to write some exams and get back. 
And since then I've been in isolation. Today's actually my first day of freedom. And so I haven't had a chance to try any of the meat and potatoes, anything that's been going on on PEI for the last couple of weeks. Um, but um, Emma and one of our other close friends, Sarah, did drop by my place um, last week with a care package with some snacks and some drinks. And, you know, it was coincidentally on the day that I ran out of chocolate. So it was very much appreciated <laughs> that they replenished my supply here. So I don't know. My recommendation for the day is probably going to be Vic Park from Gahan, just because that's some of the beers that they dropped by. And it really helped me throughout these last two weeks. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think uh, it's nice to hear that uh, even throughout having to isolate and adhere to the, the positive and strong public health measures, we could still have fun with it and drop off care packages. Um, that was fun to get to do. And if anyone else is out there isolating, nudge your friends to do the same. <laughs> um, I'm the same as you, Barbara. I'm, I, I'm not much of a cook myself. I do like restaurants a lot. I, um, I especially like PEI restaurants. I think we're so blessed. We have so many positive ones and unique ones. And just anyways, there's so many to choose from. I think for my recommendation today, I'm, um, I'm again going to recommend Bogside Brewing in Montague. Um, they've got such a neat little spot uh, down in Montague with the one side, of course, being their, their craft beer, and then as well the other side um, with uh, Famous Peppers. So uh, I think Famous Peppers has had uh, some of the best pizza on PEI since their kind of existence over the last 10, 15 years. So definitely recommend them. And then for a beer, um, I really like like the Bon Voyage from uh, Bogside. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's a nice summer beer. So uh, as mm -hmm. we're getting into the nice weather, I think it's a good one. So, yeah. And I remember the first time I heard of that beer, I think there was something about it being champagne flavored or, and I remember that sounded very intriguing. It's good. Yeah. It's <laughs> It is. Yeah. It's champagne and um, has some different like fruits, like pineapple in it. So it's, it's oh. again, nice summer taste to it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's an excellent beer recommendation. I'll check out after this video. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Barbara. We really appreciated you chatting with us over the nap over the last almost one hour. So thank you so much for your time. I think we got to learn a lot as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And you know where to find me if you need me again. <laughs> we absolutely will. Absolutely. Thank you so much and uh, have Thank a great rest much. of your day and enjoy the beautiful weekend coming up. Same to you guys. It's been a privilege. Thank right. you so much. Thank you. Bye. And that's all the time we have for today, folks. Thank you again to Barbara for joining us and taking time out of her weekend for chatting with us. As always, our opening and closing music is Gaspazy by the incredible Shane Pendergast. Shane has a very exciting local show coming up, and that is Shane Pendergast live at the Trackety Community Center. And as many of you folks know, that is his hometown, so it should be an exciting time. That's Friday, April 30th, 2021, 7.30 to 9.30. Another show Shane is coming up is that he will be one of two artists at the Two and Two Festival at Harmony House. That's Friday, May 7th and Saturday, May 8th, 2021. Again, that's also 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Tickets can be found on harmonyhousepei.com. We've had a few flurries of snow this weekend, so we hope everyone is staying warm and staying safe. 
This has been Dialogue. Gasping.